mornings. I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, we'll talk all things vaccines with answers to the persistent questions and sometimes misguided concerns that are keeping some people from getting their shot. Also this morning, from the very beginning, it was known that live event stages would be among the last to fully reopen. Now venues such as the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts are trying to figure out the best way forward. In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning, was the meaning of Easter lost on your kids amid all of the egg hunts and candy and all of that? Talk about how to pass on the foundations of Christianity to the next generation. And this year, your spring home makeover might include upgrades to a home office. We have what you need for a more productive personal workspace. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. So today is Empowered Women Entrepreneurs Day. Big salute this morning to all of the women entrepreneurs of the world. It is also the Global Day of the Engineer. Where would we be without global engineers? I mean, just think about it. Responsible for uh, all of the infrastructure, uh, everything that makes our world work. Uh, comes from the minds of engineers. So, big things today on the celebrations list. Empowered Women Entrepreneurs Day, the Global Day of the Engineer. Oh, and it's also International Beaver Day. <laughs> so there is that. <laughs> it is Metric System Day today. Well, there's an idea that has never really caught on in this country. Metric System Day, National Coffee Cake Day, National No Housework Day, which for me, I try to make every day No Housework Day as much as I possibly can. And it is also World Health Day, so designated because it was on this date in 1948 that the World Health Organization was established. And of course, that organization become very controversial, uh, especially over the past year or so. But uh, in any event, World Health Day today. So with everyone looking ahead, speaking of World Health Day, with everyone looking ahead to the end of the pandemic, hopefully drawing near as COVID-19 vaccinations keep ramping up and so on, state and local governments are revisiting some of the things that they allowed in order to help people and businesses during the pandemic that would normally violate regulations. Case in point, many places, including the state of Ohio, now grappling with whether or not to return to the ban on alcoholic drinks to go. And remember when bars and restaurants closed down, uh, they were there was the... Uh, waiver of the restriction on ordering uh, to-go alcoholic beverages. And the Wall Street Journal says this is one that was lifted by many states and local governments to help uh, these establishments uh, survive during lockdown. And uh, they say that the uh, the journal reports that uh, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Iowa, uh, Washington, D.C., and Ohio have already made allowing to-go alcoholic drinks permanent. I didn't know that they had done that in in Ohio. I thought that was still uh, temporary, but the journal says that that is uh, is now permanent. I must have missed that. But there is 
Opposition from some, not only those who say it could encourage underage drinking and uh, drunk driving, but from those who have a financial interest in the decision, beer distributors, liquor and convenience stores, and grocers associations uh, want those bans back. So we may not have heard the last of this, but uh, we said at the beginning when these things started, these waivers started to come up, how many of these things are we going to dis- going to discover that, hey, this isn't such a bad idea, we're going to keep them around, but we're also hearing the arguments for the other side that remind us why they were there were these restrictions in the first place. So it'll be an interesting debate moving forward about many of these things. I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting. The latest, the latest commodity to be in short supply because of the pandemic, and we still hear about some of these, even as things seem to be ramping down a bit as the vaccinations go, go up and, and so on. I see this light at the end of the tunnel. We're a year into the pandemic, and still we are having these things pop up in short supply. Obviously, the first of those a year ago was toilet paper. I mean, as you could, people are hoarding toilet paper; you couldn't find it, and uh, and hand sanitizer. They couldn't make it fast enough. There was such a demand, and uh, what aluminum cans? I think for a while there was a shortage. Uh, of that and then there have been other things too the latest commodity to be in short supply because of the pandemic ketchup that's right uh, prices for ketchup have gone up 13 percent since january of last year as shared bottles of ketchup at restaurants have been replaced with individual packets part of the guidelines from the cdc advise restaurants to avoid using uh, uh, shared items, reusable shared items, as a way to curb the spread. Uh, things like menus were replaced by uh, disposable printed men- menus or online menus, and they recommended condiment bottles or condiment jars, communal jars that just sit on the table and are used uh, by every patron that sits at that table those would be replaced by individual packets. And America's most popular ketchup brand, Heinz, says it cannot keep up with the orders for ketchup packets as a result. Also, adding to the problem with more cooking being done at home during the pandemic, retail sales of ketchup up 15% last year year compared with the year before. And so the increase in at-home demand and the shift in the type of demand from restaurants and it's just thrown everything for a loop i read something the other day uh that it was it was kind of interesting and i think it was with the airlines they were talking about it that they're they're just not sure how to adjust post-pandemic because all of the old rules don't apply this is another case of that restaurants uh, ordering ketchup packets instead of ketchup bottles, um, or more of the ketchup packets and fewer of the, of the bottles, it kind of upends the way things have been done in that business up to this point. And more people buy the greater demand for at-home ketchup. So it's just an example, but with the airlines, they know 
generally when people travel. They have years of experience uh, in this, knowing when people are going to travel, where they're going to travel to, and they can adjust their flight schedules accordingly because they know, you know weekends in July are big to go to Disney or whatever. I mean, they, they, it's all down to a science. They have years and years of data on this. They know from experience when people are going, going to go to what certain spots. But because of the pandemic changing everything, it's all upended and they have no idea how to predict when the demand will be for what locations and so on. It's just it's making things complicated for many, many industries. Just thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, this is an interesting story. Again, talking about the first things you need to know this morning, the most buzzworthy stories of the day. More pushback against the politically correct woke culture Italian American groups have filed suit in federal court against the administration of the city of Philadelphia over the mayor's recent executive order there renaming Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day I mean that is the woke thing to do now right we don't call it Columbus Day we call it Indigenous Peoples Day but this lawsuit contends that while both ethnic ethnic groups do deserve recognition, the mayor may not take an indiscriminate action that discriminates against Italian-Americans to exalt another ethnic group in its place. This is according to a report in the Philadelphia Inquirer. When Mayor Jim Kenney ordered the name changed, he said Columbus enslaved indigenous people and punished individuals who failed to meet his expected service through violence and, in some cases, murder. The lawsuit by these Italian-American groups contends that uh, Mayor Kenny's executive order fits a pattern of discrimination by him against Italian-American residents in the city of Findlay, or the city of Findlay, in the city of Philadelphia, uh, who say that they should be designated a protected class. So here's another example that all good intentions are going to be met with pushback. I mean, you cannot you cannot do anything that's going to please everyone. Case in point, right here. It's impossible to please everyone. Because, you know, stereotypes are not always true. Here's a case in point. Saw this story on the Newswire. Researchers at the University of Miami have found that the stereotype of the lazy stoner <laughs> is not true. They analyzed data from the National Health Survey and found that marijuana users were no more less likely, no, no more or no less likely, to be active and healthy. And some measures even suggested that pot users actually exercise more than non-users. The lead researcher in the study, Michael French, says the takeaway from this is that the concerns about marijuana users being lazy and not being active and not engaging in activity, it just did not show up in the data. So, so much for stereotypes. It's another <laughs> example that you cannot always believe the stereotypes. Not about Italian-Americans, not about stoners, not about whoever. You can't believe it. <laughs> there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories off the newswire here to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 storm track forecast.
Mostly sunny today with a high near 80, partly cloudy tonight, dropping back to near 60. A former Finley High School and Van Buren assistant football coach has been arrested. Devin Homan, age 28, was detained on April 1st by Perrysburg Police. Homan has been charged with importuning and distributing harmful material. Both charges are fifth-degree felonies. Homan faces a preliminary hearing on the charges next Tuesday. A message to former Findlay High School football coach Matt Pease has gone unreturned. Upper Sandusky is looking for its next police chief. Current chief Dan Ross has announced that he will retire from the post in July. Ross has been with the department since 1994, serving as chief of the department for the last four years. He will assist the city in the hiring process. Ross's last day on the job will be July 24th. The former director of the Ohio Department of Health, who led Ohio through the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, has announced that she will not run for U.S. Senate next year. ONN's Daniel Barnett reports. Dr. Amy Acton issued a written statement expressing gratitude for those Ohioans who encouraged her to consider a U.S. Senate run. Acton's name is one of many thrown into the speculation about who will succeed Ohio Senator Rob Portman, who previously announced his intention not to run for that seat in 2022. Acton urged those holding public office to be honest, collaborative, and empowering, and said to her fellow Ohioans, quote, do not accept anything less from your elected officials, end quote. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. With Toledo preparing to host the Solheim Cup golf event later this year, sponsors have announced two nights of concerts surrounding the event. Three-time Grammy winner Gwen Stefani will perform on Friday, September 3rd at Promenade Park in Toledo. Country music star Chris Young will perform on Saturday the 4th at the same venue. Tickets for both shows will go on sale this Friday. And now our cover story this morning, we're talking all things vaccines with answers to the persistent questions and sometimes misguided concerns that are keeping some people from getting their shot. We are joined this morning by Dr. Rosha McCoy. She is a Northwest Ohio native and currently Senior Director for Advancing Clinical Leadership and Quality at the Association of American Medical Colleges. So a local local girl done good. We always like to hear that. Uh, Dr. McCoy, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. Yes, it's very exciting for me to be talking to you <laughs> since it's so close to my home. Uh, some of the uh, apprehension uh, with these uh, vaccines that are out now, the uh, COVID-19 vaccines, some of it is very understandable. I mean, you are asking people to inject into their bodies a vaccine that has technically not been FDA approved. Emergency use authorization is not the same thing as full FDA approval. What is the difference? What ske- what step has been skipped? Sure. And I, and I totally agree with you, Chris, that it's very reasonable for people to have questions um, every, this is a new vaccine and, you know, we should never discount people's questions. We want people to be informed healthcare consumers. Um, it, it, I wouldn't say that a step has been skipped. I think we just need to step back and think about, um, the emergency use authorization. The, the FDA went through, the clinical trials were conducted the very same way. They were just the same number of people we would have had in a, uh, in a normal trials. And these were normal trials for, 
the vaccines. Uh, and so there were thousands of people of all different uh, diversity and ethnic backgrounds. And the the piece that that really helped is because there was there was a lot of funding for this vaccine. There was a lot of support from the very beginning. Scientists knew that this is what was going to get us out of the pandemic. And so there was just a lot of support. And they also used science that had already been in the works for other uh, similar viruses, um, like the SARS and MERS that you may have heard of, and, mm-hmm. and Ebola, Ebola, actually. This is the science was similar to what was used for the Ebola vaccine. So that sped things up quite a bit. Now, really, the, the main issue is time. Um, we the emergency use authorization is given when all the clinical trial data seems very good um, and complete. But now the the uh, companies are collecting more data as they're giving the vaccine, and all of that will come back to the FDA to review. Which most of all of that is very public as well. So we're all hearing about all of that as they're gathering it. And it'll come back to the FDA here pretty soon, I think, for the Pfizer for full authorization, just because they're the ones who are the first out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So it's an, I think it's an issue of, of really a will with the, throughout the world to get vaccine work done, funding, um, the science that we already knew, and the fact that emergency use authorization happened so that because these vaccines looked are so safe that everything we know about them um, and they do need we do need to get them out so, so that's why that was granted just because we needed it as well and then over time the full authorization will come so does that uh, it's it sounds like that implies that what we don't know the part that we don't know the difference between the emergency use authorization and the full approval is uh, the questions over the long-term effects and, and what happens uh, on down the line and that is another uh, concern that some say we just don't know enough yet the vaccine is too new well i mean i, I think it's reasonable to think about that. Every All the data that we have, given the fact that the science has, has, was already being studied, so we did, we did know a lot already. Um, it's been used for other vaccines like Ebola in, in a similar fashion, mm-hmm. some of the science has. So, you know, anything we do in life, we have to think about the risks and the benefits. You know, the coronavirus infections are very real. They're here right now. Um, certainly, we we could think, well, I want to wait, but if you wait, the risk of getting the disease is very real. So you, everyone has to weigh the risks and the benefits, and right now the benefits outweigh the risks significantly. Um, and and what we know about the science of these vaccines, you know, again, they've they've tested them in the animal models first, and then they then they do the tests in, in people. Um, there are no signs of significant long term safety concerns and then um, is, is what the science shows us right now and then there are the uh more uh, out there uh concerns and i'm i'm things like i know you've heard uh the the fears about uh how the vaccines will change people's dna or that there are microchips in the vaccines i mean those are some of the fringe uh, objections, but how do you counter that type of misguided uh, concern? 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's with the actual science. You know, the, the mRNA that's used is, is does not stay in the body. It does not get anywhere near near your DNA. So if you think back to science class, the DNA is in your nucleus. The mRNA is going into the cytoplasm, right, of the cell, and it, it goes away. So if you if you just try to just understand the basics of the science, that should help. The microchip piece is one that, that has no validity to it at all. So hopefully it's that people can truly turn to people that they trust, sources that they trust that will give them accurate information, whether that's um, their, their own personal doctor, which I think a lot of, who a lot of people do trust from everything we know, um, their pharmacist, their, you know, and, and other well-trusted folks. You know, the, the faith communities have all gotten behind this vaccine. Uh, so we, we just need to make sure people are talking to trusted folks who have accurate information. You're asking me to think back to uh, my high school uh, biology classes, and man, that's, <laughs> that's been a long time ago. Uh, there, there do appear to be, there appear to be two camps of people, those who are skeptical of this vaccine particularly, and those who object to all vaccines generally. Is there any concern among the medical and science community that the skepticism of this vaccine may lead people to reject other vaccines as well, that the anti-vaxxers are, are using this as a recruitment tool, if you will, for lack of a better term? Well, there is concern. I mean, some of what's happened is just because of the, the coronavirus infections and the pandemic, um, the number of folks getting vaccines, even kids, has really gone down. That's not, we don't believe that's because people are skeptical or scared as much as just people haven't been going to the doctor, things aren't as easy to, to access right now. Mm-hmm. So there's a real push to get kids back into their regular vaccine schedules because we don't want to see all these other diseases that we already dealt with through vaccines come come back and, and cause problems. We've seen that happen at other times uh, where people don't get the vaccines and these diseases that we thought we had already eradicated or don't, and had significantly decreased come back, mm-hmm. like measles and, that, and, uh, and polio and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think that there could be people who use this vaccine and the skepticism um, that some people may have, but hopefully that the whole issue of really looking at the data, I mean, I think the important thing to remember is um, with the way media uh, media sources are now, people can have access to a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FDA meetings are open meetings. The CDC meetings are open meetings. People don't go to them necessarily. People need to know that all of this is very open. And the other thing is this is the most watched vaccine, right, partly because of technology, partly because we we are all interested in this vaccine, mm-hmm. that all of the information is coming out. Um, and so people have access to it, and we just need to direct them to the right sources. And without delving too deep into the politics of it all, because I know the uh, at the AAMC, your main concern uh, is with public health, and you're trying not to uh, wade into the politics of it, but vaccine passports have become something of a political hot potato uh, lately. Is there any concern that vaccine requirements might backfire and create even more pushback. I mean, is that something that we have to sort of approach with caution when you think of the big picture uh, in all of this? 
I do think we need to approach it with caution. I mean, I think just as you said at the beginning, the first thing we need to do is make sure we have honest and open conversations and listen to people's concerns. Um, make the vaccine easy to get. I mean, let's be honest. The vaccine for some folks has not been easy to get, and it's still not easy to get. So, you know, sometimes we label people as vac- vaccine hesitant or skeptical when mm-hmm. we haven't really made it easy for them to come and get the vaccine. We need to be doing more of getting the vaccine out to where people can access it easily, uh, make it easy for them to not have issues with missing work, if they have side effects, you know, making sure the human resource policies are appropriate. So I think we, we really still have work to do in really talking to people honestly, empathetically, hearing their concerns. So I personally do think that we need to be careful about requirements while I understand that um, we definitely are going to need some tracking over time uh, of who's had the vaccine so we understand how we can open up more safely, um, I think the first step is talking to people and educating people and hearing their concerns and having having honest conversations. So I think that's the first step, and we still have work to do in that area. And hopefully we have uh, done some of that this morning. Again, Dr. Rosha McCoy is the Senior Director for Advancing Clinical Leadership and Quality at the Association of American Medical Colleges. Much more information, answers to questions, and so on uh, at their website, which we have posted uh, at ours, goodmornings.net. You have the uh, find the link there. Dr. McCoy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm a proud Falcon. Take care. So speaking of the rollout of the vaccine and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and the coronavirus pandemic, from the very beginning, as we were mentioning a little bit earlier, from the very beginning, it was known that live event stages would be among the last to be able to fully reopen. But now, given where we are in terms of progress on getting past the pandemic, now venues such as the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts are trying to figure out the best way forward post-pandemic. And uh, Heather Clough, Executive Director of the MCPA, is uh, with us on the line this morning. Uh, this, again, as we said, we knew at the outset that this was going to be uh, the, the among the last to reopen, maybe among the most complicated questions of how and when to move forward with live events uh, at the end of this pandemic. And I, I know you have uh, done a number of uh, surveys and, and talked to uh, patrons and so on. The uh, Ohio Arts Council is out with another uh, survey uh, just trying to to get uh, a sense, take the temperature, if you will, of where people are with respect to live events. What has been the feedback that you have heard to this point uh, among your patrons at the Marathon Center? Hi. Yeah, it um, varies widely. So uh, a lot of people are like, the minute you have a show, we are there. Mm -hmm. People are so desperate for live entertainment, live music shows. But then we have other people who are more hesitant. Um, You know, it's it's kind of a culture shock to come out of being isolated for a year and then be in a room full of a thousand people, potentially. Um, So, you know, I think it really runs the gamut. Most people are willing to come back. They want to know what we're doing to keep them safe, of course. I think they wonder about that about everywhere they go. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, 
what we're going to be able to do. Uh, you know, but people are are definitely itching to be entertained again yeah. and, and take part in that experience. The uh, I, I know you have done some smaller events. I know you have uh, uh, some workshops. Uh, you're planning for uh, summer youth camps and, and uh, arts camps, thing, things like that. Um, but as far as those uh, bigger events, uh, those showcase uh, live events that uh, obviously the Marathon Center uh, is known for, that is uh, a much more complicated uh, way forward. I, I noticed in the uh, Ohio uh, Arts Council's uh, survey that we referenced uh, that was uh, just recently put out, and I received the uh, email on that to, uh, to uh, ask my feedback, and I noticed one of the things that they were asking is, uh, given the fact that capacity will likely be limited for the foreseeable future when you are able to reopen, uh, how does that look? What will you be able to charge with respect to ticket prices to cover up the to, uh, cover those seats that you can't sell? And I mean, there are a lot of things uh, that I think people would not necessarily immediately think of that you have to consider when determining what these live events, these big live events look like moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And there is no answer about whether we're going to be at limited capacity in September. So I'm right now tentatively planning to have shows inside again, uh, middle starting in the middle of September. Um, before that, we'll have some outside shows like we did last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, right now I'm, I'm basing those offers and those discussions with agents and artists on 100% capacity. Um, the, everything I hear within the industry is that we're we're going that way, and and we're hopeful that we'll be able to reopen at a hundred percent. But if we're not, I mean, right now it's twenty five percent. Right, and so if, if and you just think about spreading those expenses of a show across the number of seats we're able to sell, obviously, you know, it goes up significantly. Right, and and that's one of those things, you know, the the. Governor kind of made a a big deal about uh, allowing uh, venues such as the Marathon Center to reopen at twenty five percent capacity, which is great and and may be adequate for some of those smaller events. But the uh, but the bigger things uh, that that really doesn't doesn't do much uh, from from your standpoint, right? Right, absolutely. So if you look at twenty five percent of our our theater, our big theater, the Donnell, mm-hmm. is two hundred and forty three seats. Yeah. So if we're limited to that, and on a mid-level band, it's a, at least 15000 just for the band alone. Yeah. So once you add in marketing, production expenses, ticket fees, all that, you know, you're looking at a at least a $25,000 show. Yeah, it can't and be done. And you divide that by 243 just to break even, you know, that's $100 a ticket for a mid-level band. Right. Yeah, and and those are things that you you just can't expect to be able. So, one hundred percent capacity is really uh, the key to making this happen. And not that you would be even. And we've talked about it before. Not that the Marathon Center turns a, a huge profit on uh, you know a number of these uh, high profile shows, but you can't even consider it uh, at anything less than a hundred percent capacity, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, if we have a huge show like Johnny Mathis or a Broadway tour, mm-hmm. we actually invest in that show. You know, even at sellout, we're not going. We're, we're if we're lucky, we break even. Right. Yeah. But you know, if you're looking at somebody you're paying fifty or seventy five thousand dollars just to come here, you know we're investing in that because right. we believe that the you know the community deserves the arts. 
So if we can't even get to 100% capacity, you know, some of those are just out of the question, at least for the immediate future. Yeah. You know, when I announce in September, I don't think there'll be a Broadway show on the list. You know, I I know how much Finley loves Broadway and and we want to do another Broadway show, but I just don't think right now we have the capacity to make those investments. And how much of that also, this is something that we've talked about before, uh, how much of that also is dependent on whether the the artists and the touring companies uh, feel comfortable uh, in touring again? Because uh, for a while that was a problem, uh, that the touring companies had said that they wouldn't, uh, under any circumstances, go back out on the road before we have the vaccine. Obviously, we have that now. But, I mean, is there still some hesitancy among some of these uh, touring acts to uh, to actually go out there? Absolutely. I just yesterday had an artist that I was trying to book for an outside show in September. And they said, we're not ready to, we won't be ready in September mm. to tour again. We're yeah. not comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Broadway, the big tours get into a lot of different things because there's unions involved, you know, there's actors, actors equity and the technical unions. And there's been a lot of discussion there about, you know, will they require everybody that works at MCPA to be vaccinated. Can we legally ask everybody that works at MCPA to be vaccinated? You know, there's just so many issues around getting those tours back out, both on their end and our end. So a lot there yet to be navigated before we are back to uh, what we would consider normal. So if if we're thinking that we're just going to flip the switch, uh, obviously there are a lot of hurdles that uh, we have to, a lot of hoops to jump through before we get to to that point. want to talk uh, real briefly about the financial stability of the Marathon Center uh, for the Performing Arts specifically. I know during the course of the past year, again, it's something that we've talked about, uh, that you lean very heavily on uh, the endowment to uh, carry uh, carry you forward uh, through that. Uh, how financially stable are you at this point, and how long will it take to get you back to where you were prior to all of this? I mean, obviously, dipping into the endowment is not something that you wanted to do for this reason. Uh, you know, good thing it was there, obviously, but that's not really what it was What it was for. So how long will it take to get back to where you were pre-pandemic for, before all of this happened? So actually, we have not had to dip into our endowment. Ah. Um, we got extremely lucky with some funding through the CARES Act, um, through the city and county, city. Um, through the Ohio Arts Council. I'm just about to put, to put in an application for the Shuttered Venues Operators Grant, um, which was part of the last uh, care pack, you know, package that went through. Mm-hmm. Um, between that and donors, um, we got over $30,000 worth of tickets re-donated back to us for canceled shows. So be- and because of that and the changes we've made Internally, you know, the cost cutting measures, Mm -hmm. we've actually held on without dipping to the endowment, which uh, I think the board and staff should be extremely proud of. I don't think a lot of organizations in this time period can say that. Yeah. Uh, certainly uh, good news there to know that uh, at least there is some uh, financial stability uh, moving back, uh, coming back, and there's not, not the fragility uh, in that regard uh, when things do start to get back to normal. But we certainly look forward uh, to live shows again. And as you were saying, September is kind of your target for announcing uh, some semblance of a season uh, moving forward. 
For inside stuff, yep. Very shortly, I'm going to okay. announce a bunch of stuff that are happening in our parking lot this year. So at least summer, we'll have some nice outdoor stuff. We'll look forward to that. Again, uh, Heather Clow, Executive Director of the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts with us this morning. Heather, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. More details at our webpage, of course, goodmornings.net. And now it is time for our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning. Of course, we just uh, celebrated uh, Easter in the uh, Christian faith. And I don't know about you, but uh, at our Easter service uh, on Sunday, you know, the uh, pastor invites the the kids up for the children's message, uh, which is they do every week. You know, the minister kind of breaks down the weekly message to a level that the, you know, that the little ones can understand. And the very first thing the minister said is, you know, it's Easter today. What does that mean? When you think of Easter, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And he got the predictable responses, the Easter bunny and Easter egg hunts and, you know, all the candy and the kids, you know, some of the uh, you know, little girls were talking about, you get to wear, you know, fancy dresses. We get a brand new uh, dress and we get to dress up and the boys are all in their snappy suits and, and all of that. And those were the things that immediately came to mind for the kids. They had to be reminded of what the day actually represented in the Christian faith. And it struck me that this is not not as commercially, uh, the Easter holiday is not as commercial as, say, Christmas, uh, which is rife with its uh, commercialism and materialism and all of that, certainly. Easter is not on that level, but at the same time, it is very easy for the meaning of the holiday to get lost on kids who get caught up in all of those traditions of Easter. How to pass on the foundations of Christianity to the next generation is the subject of today's Keeping the Faith. Here's correspondent John Clemens. Foundations is a book by Troy Simons and his wife Ruth that was needed for a time such as this. It's been a book that's 18 years in the making. My husband and I are parents to six boys. Our oldest is 17, our youngest is six. And, you know, kids don't come with a manual. So you really just want to be wise in how you train them up and how you raise them. But you also want good family culture. And as believers, we want our kids to see Christ and the gospel lived out in our homes. But sometimes you don't know how to start. And so Foundations is a resource, is a guide to help us start the conversation about who God is, who we are in Him right at home. Those 18 years of work on Foundations became a labor of love. Foundations is a labor of love. We weren't trying to start a ministry as husband and wife. I was previously writing to Christian women. My first book was Grace Lace, Discovering Timeless Truths Through Seasons of the Heart, and then devotional writing as well as my artwork. But as a mom of six, this project was an opportunity to serve families and say, okay, listen, let's get something out there for husbands and wives and single parents and young adults, whoever is wanting to get grounded and lay a foundation of faith. This is that resource for them. There are plenty of other examples from the Bible, but they wanted to highlight 12 that they found important for their six boys. You can search the scriptures cover to cover, and I'm sure there are plenty of other things to lay as foundations in our lives, but we really wanted to just pick 12 to really think through, okay, how do we look at God's love for us? Well, what's wrong with us? Well, sin and brokenness. And then how do we now in Christ, when we turn to Jesus, how will that play out in the way we respond to one another and the way we encourage each other, the way we give to others, the way we persevere? Foundations can be used for your family beginning today. 
as parents, we want a formula. We think, oh, well, this is only for families that have well-behaved children and everybody's going to sit around and long to open the Bible together. And that's not the case. My encouragement is just to start right where you are. It may not look the same for every family in any season and not every family is set up the same way. And so the 101 part of it is just to remind families that this is not a one-size-fits-all and there's no formula. You literally just start with the reminder that we all need to come together. That coming together for your family will teach them about the accessibility of the Word of God. We've just been in the Word and we ultimately have taken really deep truths and tried to make them as accessible as possible. I love what Mark Dever says, you know, what you win them with is what you win them to. So there's no point in trying to give a watered down version of the gospel to our children or to one another. But ultimately, we can start with just the simple truth. If we can have a resource that helps us to take a look at the word in a new way. Ruth Child Simons is a best-selling and award-winning author, artist, entrepreneur, and speaker. Using each of these platforms, to spiritually sow the Word of God into the world. You know, um, I have the distinct privilege of running a business and speaking from um, a platform like Instagram. So I, I basically keep photos of my family online regularly. I always look at pictures of my family and think, all is grace, because I've done an amazing job. It's not because I had all the right skills. In fact, I feel like a really unlikely mom to six. So when she looks at those photographs of her six boys... What does she think? I look at my family and say, God uses the things that we think we're so inadequate in and so weak in to show that He is strong and that He is mighty and that everything is to His praise and glory. And so I think of the words, all is grace when I see my family. She feels only happiness when she looks at her children. Our oldest is 17, our youngest is 6. Our oldest is absolutely walking with the Lord, has a vibrant relationship with God Himself. Our other boys are speaking about their faith and walking through it. And our younger ones still are trying to grasp the understanding of the gospel. And the thing that I've learned as a mom is ultimately to trust God's timing in that. And I don't need to force a prayer. I don't need to force a confession. I can work to constantly say, whether you're a believer or not, I'm going to keep speaking the gospel today. Here's where to get more information about foundations. My artwork and the things that I write through a blog are at gracelaced.com. That is our family um, ministry and business. You can learn more through ruthjoesimons.com. That's R-U-T-H C-H-O-U-S-I-M-O-N-S. This is John Clemens reporting. What a great message, especially the timing using the observance, the celebration of the miracle of Easter as a springboard to pass on the foundations of Christianity to the next generation. The link is up on our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Keeping the faith. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Imagine the hubris. Imagine thinking that you have the brains to outwit an entire police department and your insurance company. The Shelton Police Department, Shelton, Connecticut, reports that a man called called in and reported himself the victim of an armed robbery. 34-year-old David Manning told police that he was robbed at gunpoint by two men who stole his vehicle and his cell phone. After investigation, the car was found in a neighboring city uh, 
the day before the supposed armed robbery happened. A subsequent investigation by the Detective Bureau revealed the vehicle was in an accident in Bridgeport the day prior when the driver fled the scene. (laughs) The uh, press release uh, went on to say it also showed that Manning was not truthful and the vehicle was not, in fact, stolen. (laughs) It was just... See, that's the thing. It's not the first time that somebody has tried to get out of responsibility for an accident by saying, hey, someone stole my car, and then, lo and behold, they got into an accident. It's not my fault. Somebody stole the car. But usually, it's best to report the car stolen prior to the accident happening if you want to get out of responsibility for the accident. Uh, Manning was charged with interfering with an officer and falsely reporting the theft of a motor vehicle Uh, And he got himself a nice pair of silver bracelets uh, for that. Um, And he uh, also had to uh, shell out. Not only did he have to shell out cash to be busted out of prison, obviously his car insurance rate is going to go up. He is currently out on $5,000 bond and is due back in court uh, later next month. (laughs) Not the brightest tool in the shed. Not the brightest bulb in the candelabra, as they say. Uh, Here's another uh, dumb criminal. Love dumb criminals. Missouri man headed to federal prison for trying to buy a chemical weapon. (laughs) Did he think no one would notice you're trying to buy a chemical weapon? The Justice Department says Jason Sicer was sentenced to 12 years after admitting he attempted to buy a highly toxic chemical back in 2018. He tried acquiring the substance using Bitcoin online is using the dark web the justice department explained the amount of chemicals he ordered was enough to kill hundreds of people or that he tried to order prosecutors noted writings were found in his home that signaled his heartache and anger over a breakup of a relationship and he wanted the person who caused the breakup to die that's nice (laughs) you know what Here's here's a tip. Next time you break up with someone, and I can't imagine why someone would break up with this guy. He seems like such a stable individual, but maybe the next time, just go out for a drink. <laughs> no, just, just go drown your sorrows. This is kind of weird. The uh, Beaufort County School District in South Carolina says that the Red Cedar Elementary School, students and teachers at the Red Cedar Elementary School recently set a Guinness World Record when it successfully set up 3,730 cereal boxes in the cafeteria, set them up like dominoes, and then toppled them. They set up these cereal boxes, 3,700 cereal boxes set up like, uh, like dominoes, and then knocked them down. It was a Guinness World Record. The cereal boxes then were donated to uh, local charity, uh, local food pantry, which is nice. But I saw that story and I thought, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. But how much free time do they have at this school? <laughs> how much? Those students must be doing really well in their studies. They have enough time to set up 3,700 boxes of cereal like Domino's. And- anyway, so who has the time for this? And finally, in our uh, viral story, viral video story of the day, online story, TikTok user, a TikTok user goes um, by the name Tony 
uh, uploaded a video of him digging in his backyard with a spade. He was doing a little, you know, spring gardening and all of that. Okay. And as he's digging, he uncovers a heavy concrete box. So he's digging, and suddenly his shovel hits this, you know, something hard buried underground. He digs it up, and uh, it is a heavy concrete box. The caption of the post says, I found a secret box in my backyard. I was doing some gardening, and I uncovered some sort of crazy secret concrete box in the ground. So, obviously, curiosity got the best of him. He pulled the the box. He goes to pull the box out of the ground, and then he realizes only after he has pulled the cover of the box off, up off the ground, that he had found his home's septic tank. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that explains that. Uh, there you go. That is the moment that he uh, discovers that it's the septic tank. Uh, and he knows immediately by the aroma <laughs> is quite priceless. There you go. That is today's broken news update. Uh, sometimes you have the breaking news and some of the news that is already broken. It's brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Hear from the candidates before you cast your vote in the primary election on May 4th. WFIN is presenting a candidates forum featuring the five people vying for three Findlay City Council at-large seats. Listen to what the candidates have to say in this forum presented in cooperation with the University of Findlay and live from Weinbrenner. The candidate forum is Wednesday night at 6 on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Forbes is out with their 2021 billionaires list, a list of the world's richest people. And you can probably guess who is at the top. And number one, numero uno, the big cheese, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, of course. Uh, cashing in on the pandemic, Amazon was was huge, so you know that obviously helped. He was already right up there, but uh, the list shows Jeff Bezos with a net worth of one hundred seventy-seven billion dollars, and he's got some wiggle room at the top of the list. He could lose twenty-five billion dollars and still be number one. He's twenty-six billion ahead of Elon Musk at number two, Tesla CEO and the founder of SpaceX. Rounding out the top five, luxury brand investor Bernard Arnault. Microsoft's Bill Gates is still up there. And Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. So those are the five biggest. Jerry Jones, owner of the Dallas Cowboys, is the wealthiest person in the sports category. Nearly $9 million billion. Francois Betancourt Myers of L'Oreal tops the list of wealthiest women at more than $73 billion. She is 12th overall. And... In other news of the rich and famous, Kim Kardashian has officially reached billionaire status for the first time in this year's list. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I guess is how you feel about the Kardashians, but she's on the list for the first time. And former President Donald Trump has tumbled in the ranks, falling nearly 330 spots from where he was. I don't have the I don't 
have the exact number on his net worth, but he's down 330 spots from where he was on the list last year. Well, every year right around this time, we talk about uh, spring spruce-ups and uh, giving uh, your home a makeover and so on. This might not have been something that we talked about in the past, but given the fact that working from home became a thing over the past year, and even as we begin to transform uh, transform into a sort of more normal life, the idea of working from home is expected to continue. So joining us this morning with what you need for a home office makeover this spring is tech expert Mark Saltzman. You have three big essentials for our home office. What are they? Yeah, thanks. First of all, uh, thank you so much for having me. And, and that's right. I have partnered with some great brands to help turn a regular home office into a stellar one. So to answer your question about three essentials, let's start off with a laptop. Uh, the HP ZBook Firefly G8 is definitely one that should be on your radar. It's a workhorse. It gives you the power that you need to run demanding professional apps without any noticeable slowdowns that you may have experienced in a previous work laptop. Again, it's called the ZBook. It's incredibly thin and light, yet it offers a lot of power under the hood, uh, up to an Intel Core i7 processor, up to NVIDIA T500 graphics. And on the 14-inch model, HP's award-winning, Academy Award-winning, Dream Color technology for enhanced color accuracy when you're doing photo and video editing. Prices start at 1500 for that ZBook Firefly G8. Uh, strong Wi-Fi, also incredibly important, of course. The Eero Pro 6 provides fast, reliable, and secure Wi-Fi so you can work, play, and school from home without disruption. Not only will it blanket your home with Wi-Fi, getting rid of those dead zones, but the Eero Pro 6 also supports more simultaneously connected devices. In-app setup takes just minutes, and you can use that app or your voice with an Alexa speaker to manage the features. Prices start at only $229 for a one-pack, but there are also a two and a three pack option as well at Eero.com. And you're going to want a reliable, uh, high quality printer as well for that home office. The HP OfficeJet Pro 9015E delivers office quality productivity for those working or learning from home, while the HP Plus Smart Printing System thinks ahead. So your printer is always ready when you are. Plus, it's more secure and more sustainable as well. You also get six free months of instant ink out of the box. That's when the ink is automatically delivered to your door when it's running low. Love that. And with the HP Smart app, you can print, scan, and fax from the palm of your hand. Again, it's the HP OfficeJet Pro 9015E. It's only $229 at hp.com. Flash plus. Well, I tell you what, over the past year, I, I discovered how important it is to have a good, reliable printer that doesn't frustrate the heck out of, out of you. So that cannot <laughs> emphasize that enough. You also have a couple of ideas uh, that we might not have thought about uh, for our office, uh, one involving uh, your mobile phone. Tell us about these. Right. Yeah, sure. Well, you probably know that a, a, a smartphone can help you work from home of staying productive sure. wherever life takes you, of course. But you might not know about T-Mobile Tuesdays. It rewards customers with free offers. And now Metro by T-Mobile customers can also benefit from giveaways and exclusive discounts since they're now part of the T-Mobile family. Now, here's a deal that I wanted to highlight. Now that spring is here, you can snag a one-year subscription to MLB TV for free. That's $130 value. You simply download that T-Mobile Tuesdays app and then redeem that offer between now and April 6th. 
And then finally, another home office essential, something that you should not underestimate, and that's the importance of good audio. Uh, whether you're doing a radio interview like this or doing a Zoom call, the Shure MV5C home office microphone is awesome for professionals, students, and teachers working from home. It has a directional uh, microphone technology support that prioritizes your voice, not the environment, and it includes a speech enhancement mode for clear studio quality sound. Setup is super simple. You just plug it into an available USB port and you're good to go. Uh, again, it's the Sure MV5C. It's only $99 at sure.com slash MV5C. I'm talking to you on it right now, in fact. Yeah, it's money well spent. And I can tell you as a broadcaster, uh, Sure is a standard uh, name, one of the best in the business. So you can't go wrong there. Again, uh, tech expert uh, Mark Saltzman with uh, ideas for a home office makeover this spring. And where do we get more information on all of this, Mark? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You can head over to killerapps.com for more info. That's killerapps.com. Want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow, the final fun day Sunday of the season happens this weekend. Look back on a most unusual year and look forward to maybe a return to normalcy at the University of Finley's Mazza Museum. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and making a good day, we will catch you back here tomorrow.